and love that song. What an amazing truth that death was arrested. I love that song. Open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Matthew chapter 15. I do hope you have a copy of the Word of God with you. Uh, if you do not have a Bible uh, or on your device, you don't have it on there, uh, we would love to get you the Word of God. Um, I said it in my opening introduction, and it's still true here 20 minutes later. Um, if you came here today hoping to hear from me, um, I can tell you directly you're going to be disappointed. But if you came this morning looking to hear from God's Word, what God would have for you, I guarantee you, you will leave filled with His grace and His love and His Word today. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to get into the text in just a moment. Uh, we've been going through a series of messages uh, entitled Conversations with God. And what we asked was if we could sit across the table from Jesus Christ, if you could sit across and have coffee with the Lord, what would that look like? Now, I know some of us would say, oh, I have coffee with, with the Lord every morning in my prayer time. That's great. And I believe we need to treat it that way, like he's really sitting across from us. But what if we could literally and physically have that conversation? What type of things do you think would dominate the conversation? I can guarantee you, in my opinion, the things that would dominate the conversation probably wouldn't center on me. It would center on Christ. It wouldn't, did you catch that? It wouldn't center on me. It would center on Jesus Christ. And you might say, well, wait a minute, doesn't Jesus love me and care for me and provide for me and want to bless me? Absolutely he does. But do you know why God through Christ blesses you? Yeah, because it benefits us. But you know what the greater purpose? That we will in turn glorify him. That we will in turn honor him and raise him up and lift him up. We've covered a lot of topics, this being the seventh week. And I know last week you're like, wait a minute, wasn't last week the last week of the series? Didn't you say that? It was going to be the last week of the series. And the Lord laid a couple more topics on my heart. And what's awesome is next week you don't want to miss it. We're going to cover a topic that's going to hit home really close to home for a lot of us. It's going to hit home in our culture. It's going to get home in our thinking, in our families, maybe even with our friends. So you don't want to miss next week as we kind of wrap up the series. And I have to wrap it up next week because we have a new series starting in September. So I'm out of time. I have to end it. Next week's topic, I'm not even going to give it away yet, but when we were praying over this over the last week, I went home Sunday and I was kind of, I told Sandra there was a couple of topics that I felt that led to talk about last week. And I said, maybe I should hit this one coming up here in a couple of weeks. And it was so cool as I was kind of praying about that, someone actually sent me a message that said, hey, are you going to talk about this in this series? Because I know for me personally, it's really hit home to our family. And it's really impacted my life directly, and I would love for you to find out, are you going to speak to this topic? And it was the exact topic that I was praying about, Lord, should I speak on this? And so I sent him a message back, and I said, well, your confirmation that God wants me to talk about this. And so next week, if you get mad at me, I'm going to tell you this person's name, and you get mad at them too, okay? <laughs> so I'm not alone in this. I don't go down solo. I take somebody with me every time. So if I'm going down, they're going down. But I know them. They can handle it. As you think about this idea, though, of conversations with God, we've talked about a lot of things. When we've talked about giving, tithing, if you will. What does the Bible actually say to the church about giving and tithing? What does the Bible say about your money? I can tell you again, God doesn't need your money. God's got tons of money. By the way, he owns all the wealth. Every dollar you make at your job that you think is really yours, it's just being loaned to you. Because every dollar you make with the brain that God gave you, with the air in your lungs that God put there and the feet to get to work that he gave you, 
he is glorified in all that. So when we give, we don't give him 10 and hold back 90 and think, well, there's yours and here's mine. Right? Sometimes with marriages, I try to tell young couples, when people think about finances in marriage, they'll say, well, how do, you, how do you look at finances in a marriage? And I said, well, it's great. Here's a simple math way to do this. Simple math. If you have $20 and your wife has $5, your wife has $25. <laughs> so if you're ever on the fence and you're like, I just don't know how to do this checkbook thing, there's a simple solution for you, Okay. No, that's, some, that's a woman's hands. That's right there. That's a woman clapping. I know. Some small hands clapping. You know what I'm saying? All the fellas are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You, do, you, know, you can act tough in church, but we know when you get home what the checkbook looks like, okay? We talked about finances, though. We talked about motives. Man, you want to get a room quiet, talk about the motives behind what you do. I said it weeks ago. I'll say it every week, and we're in this series. God is more concerned with why you do what you do than what you do. You can do all the right things, and we're going to touch on that topic again loosely this morning in just a little bit. We talked about heaven, and we talked about hell. We talked about what does the Bible really say about heaven, and what is Christian culture trying to push down our throats with bestseller after bestseller after bestseller. I said it. More people have died and gone to heaven and come back in the last 20 years than all of human history, I think. It's crazy. And they all are making millions of dollars on these books. We talked about hell. And man, hell is a topic people don't want to talk about. Oh, come on now. Don't go there. Like I said a few weeks ago, we need to think about the topic of hell. It will keep our minds sober and dwelling on the right things. If we don't realize that what we just saying is true, that death was arrested and my life begins at the resurrection of Jesus Christ by putting my faith and trust in Christ's death, burial, resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Anyone who has not done that, the Bible says, not Pastor John, not North Goodland, the Bible says that they will be separated from God for all of eternity as a result of their own sin. But they don't have to be. That's the beauty of the cross. That's why we have to think about that because if we don't think on those things, we drift into all this silly stuff, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to buy, what am I going to do with this, what am I going to do for a hobby, what am I going to do on vacation, all these silly things that are fine to think about at right times, but if that's dominating your thinking, man, are we really making the disciples we're called to make then? Or are we just filling our lives with all this fluff? And last week we talked about the sanctity of life. We talked about the sacredness of life. And I want to encourage you, all life is sacred. An unborn child is just as valuable as a full-grown human being. Both lives should be treated as sacred. So here's the key. Is your life, treat, do you treat your life as sacred? Do you look at every day, as James 4 says, as just a momentary vapor? That you're investing in lives as you can. You're living this life to the glory of God right now because you have breath in your lungs. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow, the Bible says. Boast not of tomorrow, but live for today to the glory of God. And so we talked about all that over the last six weeks. And this morning we're going to talk about our words. If we could sit across from Christ and we could pull up the chair and, and begin to ask some questions about, Jesus, what would you have me to say? Man, if there's someone going to ask you want to ask about how to talk and how to speak to people, it's Jesus Christ. How would you have me to speak to people? How would you have me to use my words? See, I don't think we realize how powerful our words really are. You could say one thing to me after the service today, one thing that could leave me defeated, devastated, depressed, just wiped out spiritually. 
One thing you could say to me, and it would do that. Or you could say one thing to me after the service today that leaves me more uplifted. I don't know what's going on with this mic, TJ. Is it just, am I doing something? I'm horrible with technology. I'm going to keep going, though. If it cuts off, y'all just got to listen better. Don't fall asleep. You're like, what do you say? What do you say? He said I can go to sleep. Is that what he said? <laughs> no, Jim, you can't go to sleep, okay? I don't know. It's so good to have Jim back with us and Abby. This is really going to drive me crazy. Anyway, yeah, give me a handheld. That'll work. Because that's what you need to hear is my voice. Is that better? All right. So the power of our words, and you can turn me down up here. I don't need to hear more of me in this. Um, The power of our words is so vital because if you don't realize the power of the words you speak, you can wound people for their life. Or you can lift people up and it changes their life. And listen, let me just say this real quick. I'm not saying that we can, there's a movement in Christianity today. And I'm not being mean, but it's the best way I could describe it. It's what I call the blab it and grab it group. I said it. God, give me a million dollars. God, I believe you're going to give me a million dollars. God, I believe you're going to give me a million dollars. And a million dollars doesn't show up. If it does, tithe on it. But if it doesn't, we're left with one of a couple conclusions. I didn't have enough faith to speak it into existence. How does that leave me spiritually defeated, wounded, Oh, I need better faith. I need better faith. Or we believe God doesn't care enough about me to answer me, to listen to me. So it changes our view of God. Maybe James was right when he says, you pray to consume it upon your own lusts. Why would I ever answer that prayer request with a yes? Maybe our focus is wrong. Maybe there's unrepentant sin in our life. Maybe there's other things going on that we need to take care of. The point is, when I talk about the power of our words, I'm not saying I can speak this into existence. I know what Proverbs says about if a man thinks it, he kind of lives it, he becomes it. But what I'm saying is we need to look at our words in relation to God's word. Like, what does God's word say about our words? That's, I believe, where we can bank on in the power of our words. Not in some of the stuff you see on TV where it's more about selling a book or selling a magic hanky that can answer all your prayer requests or whatever else. I'm sorry, guys, you think, oh, he's making that stuff up. I wish I could. I can't make up better stuff than what's out there. And what ends up happening is we leave people wounded. Listen, God's going to say yes to some of your prayer requests. God's going to say no to some of your prayer requests. God's going to say not right now, but maybe soon to some of your prayer requests. And all of it is good if it's in his hands and we're submitted to his will. Because I'm trusting in him as sovereign. So our words are very, very powerful. The Bible says a lot about our words and what they reflect about our hearts, our wisdom, and our relationship with God. Your words reflect your heart, your wisdom in Christ, and your relationship with God. So let's look at Matthew chapter 15. I want to look at an example of this. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. 
these scribes and Pharisees are coming to Jesus saying, hey, your disciples, they're showing up to eat, but they're not following our traditions exactly. Why do you allow them to do that? And I want to look at what Jesus' answer is because it's life-changing when we get what he's saying here. But let's do this. Let's pray. And I want to ask God to give us wisdom because James 1.5 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And I can be honest enough and transparent enough to say I lack wisdom in my life. I'm ignorant of a lot of things in my life, and ignorance is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing because it means you're aware of what you don't know, which means you'll be driven to know what you don't know. And in the things of God, we are all left ignorant at times in our life, are we not? So we can pray and ask God, God, give me your wisdom on this, that I'd be changed and think differently. That if you came into church today preset, predetermined, I'm not changing anything no matter what that guy says. No matter how funny he is, and he's pretty funny, but no matter how funny he is, no matter how clever he sounds, I'm not listening to a word of it. I'm going in there. I know what I know. Well, then maybe this morning you would say, God, would you break me of that and help me to just be open to you? Would we, we bow in a word of prayer and ask God to bless his word this morning? Heavenly Father, we believe your word is true when it says that it will never return void in our lives. And I pray that you would allow it to find open ears, open hearts, and open minds this morning, that we respond to you in faith, which is the only way we can respond to you. That when we're confronted with the reality of our words and how we use them, why do we say what we say? Lord, may you give us great wisdom on this because only you can open our eyes to it through the power of your word and the working of your Holy Spirit. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd fill this place and speak as you are free to do so, convicting us of sin and also of righteousness. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would prick their heart, make them aware of their need, not for religion, not for denomination, but for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And may you be glorified in all of that. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we read in these verses here some powerful things. The disciples are not following traditions, and they're asked why. Drop down to verses 4 through 6. It says this, For God commanded, saying, so he's kind of answering them with a question, saying, why do you guys transgress the commandments of God? This is kind of like one of those, like, what I deal with with my 11 and my 7-year-old. Well, he did this. And I always ask this question first. What did you do to him first? Isn't it amazing? Nothing. He just walked up and pushed you for no reason. Yeah, it's crazy. No, of course not. So Jesus does this. Look what he says here. He says, why do you guys break the commandments of God as well? Verse 4. For God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. This is like ground zero, basic level Bible. This is Ten Commandments stuff. And he's talking to scribes and Pharisees who their whole life is to study the word of God and to know the law. They know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Look at verse 5. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your traditions. Drop down to verse 17. It says, do not, yet, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever enters into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought. But those things which proceed out of the mouth, listen now, those things that proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. 
For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but not to eat with unwashed hands defile not a man. Talk about, you don't want to ever ask Jesus a question unless you're really ready to hear truth. These guys said, hey, your disciples aren't following our traditions. And he said, that's okay, your traditions are violating the very law of God. But you're going to come at them because they don't wash their hands. But yet you, basically what this is referring to culturally, is that if someone believed their parents were of such an age that they didn't have to take care of them anymore, and they actually began to take advantage of them more or less, and just kind of summarize what's going on here, but they thought they were doing them a blessing and being good to them, Jesus says you're actually dishonoring them and you're breaking the commandment of God. And then he takes it back to what? The heart. He says, listen, you want to know what defiles a man? Because see, they thought, oh, the disciples eat with unwashed hands. They're defiled. They're not clean. They're not pure. Jesus says, you want to know what defiles a man? It's what comes out of your mouth. The things you say. And why does that happen? Because it's based in our hearts. The seed of our emotion, the seed of our affections, what we strive for. Those things drive our words. And when our heart is distant from God, What's the product of our heart? What does he say there? That's Jesus being very real, by the way. I've always said this. Jesus is great at making crowds small. Thousands are following him. Thousands. He turns to them and says, you want to keep following me? You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, I'm out. I'm leaving. You want to follow me? You got to pick up a cross because you're probably going to lose your life for me. I'm out. He looks at the disciples and says, will you too leave me? Peter, the one that opened his mouth so often like, I wish I could, bold in his faith, maybe not always wise in his words, but bold, says, where else would we go? Man, we need to realize there's power in our words because it reflects our hearts. Jesus hits the religious leaders right in the heart of the matter, literally. And what he was basically telling them is, you guys need to be aware of this heart drives what you say, it drives what you do, it drives what you think. And basically, you need to check your heart, if you will. We always need to be on guard about watching our heart and thinking about, why did I say that? And why did I do this? And why am I doing that? We need to check our heart. And you might say, well, what does that look like? How do I check my heart? What's an example of maybe saying something one way, but then kind of behind the scenes, I do it anyway because my heart really hasn't changed on the matter. What does that look like to check my heart? I'm so glad you asked, and I want you to watch this, and it's going to give you insight into what it means to check your heart. New t-shirt. If you like the for sure no shirt, this is the one for you. Me and my buddy Caleb used to say this to each other all the time. It's like the Christian way of telling somebody that you're judging them, but like inside, you're not just going to say it out loud. It's like, a, you ever seen somebody making a questionable decision? You're just like, hmm, check your heart. Okay. Very applicable in all types of situations. Oh, you're going to get an extra value meal and an apple pie, but you're still not going to donate a dollar to charity? Hmm, okay. <laughs> check your heart. Ladies, you ever been like walking into church in an outfit that you know might be a little questionable and you get a look from one of the older women at the church, just a, mm, just that check your heart look. <laughs> mm, check your heart. Okay. Oh, y'all, I've been at Chipotle. Let me just get a water. No, I'm fine. Let me just get a water. Sneak that thing. Fill it up with Sprite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> check your heart. Anyway, swipe up for the check your heart shirt available for sale right this second. How about this? I will send a Check Your Heart t-shirt to five people that submit the best Check Your Heart examples. I got one. How about, uh, oh, you're going to open your car door and ding the car next to you? You're not going to leave a note? Mm, okay. Check Your Heart. Okay, now that I think about it, 
these ideas are just coming to me now. You ever been like in the middle of winter, like February? Girl posts the bikini photo. <laughs> Beach vibes. Take me back. <laughs> Check your heart, Madison. Okay, these, some of these responses got me dying. Somebody said when somebody posts a hashtag no filter photo, but you know their teeth ain't that white. Hmm, <laughs> check your heart. <laughs> when the self-checkout at the grocery store skips an item, but you just bag it and keep going. <laughs> That's excellent. Check your heart. What about when you go to the early service or maybe go to the night service at church so you can watch the game? Wow. Check your What about uh, when you see a meme on the internet that's a little bit inappropriate? So you don't tag your friend, you just screenshot it and text it to him? Wow. <laughs> Everybody's done that. Also, check your heart. All right. That's just, that was more for my enjoyment. Some of you are like, I don't even get the connection. That's fine. It was just funny for me. So, um, but no, I just wanted to show that because honestly, listen, there are so many ways in our life that we need to, we think or we act like we're doing it all right and we're all good and all this, but really inside we're still kind of, mm, I'm trying to get away with this. And it's amazing how we just need to really honestly check. That's what Jesus was saying. Look in your heart, check your heart. Why? What motivates you to do that? And with our words, it's so true. It is so true. I want to look at this. Let's, let's talk this out a little bit. I want to look at some scriptures today and talk about what does it look like when our words are a reflection of a Christ-like heart. I know some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. I, got, I know Christ is my Savior. I received Christ as my Savior. Doesn't he, it says he changed, gives me a new heart. Well, yeah, he does. He begins to work in your heart and change your heart and change your emotions. But there's this battle that happens in us. Romans chapter 7 talks about this. There's this war going on between the flesh and the spirit. And the spirit, the newness of God, is trying to enlighten us to the things of God and help us to think and honor him with our words and our actions. But then there's this flesh over here that's still warring against us. And so we find ourselves going back and forth between these things. And I want to look at this. Do you realize that Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 talks about honoring your parents, honoring your mom and dad in relation to verse 19? For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. He's lumping all these things together. So get this, honoring your mother and father, or rather dishonoring them, is no different in Jesus' eyes than murderers, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witness is the King James way of saying it. What's false witness mean? Lying. You might say, well, I never really lie. Well, if you go to your lunch break, it's an hour lunch break, and you know you should be back at 1 o'clock, but you show up at 1.05, but you asked your friend to punch you in at 1 o'clock because you were running late. Well, I don't really lie. That's a lie. Serious, no, serious, think about this. Think of the little things that we do in our life that are just white lies. But our culture says it's not that big a deal. The little white ones aren't bad. It's okay to do that. No, Jesus compares all of them together. Then he says, blasphemies. You know, to take the Lord's name in vain is not just using it as a swear word. It's to mean I speak the name of God with emptiness behind it. That's what it really means. Vanity, vain, it's empty of its meaning. That means when I pray sometimes, when I'm praying selfishly and with me at the focal points, 
and I throw his name on the end. Was that in vain? Was that, was that in vanity? Or did I really honor his name with praise and holiness when I said his name there? That's the idea behind that whole thing. And Jesus says, this is all connected. But don't we make lines here? Don't we break these things up? Well, I said this, but it's not as bad as saying or doing this. Jesus' whole principle is, no, no, it's a reflection of your heart, and it might come out in one way or another, but we need to be on guard, protecting our hearts. And how do we guard our hearts and minds? The Bible tells us Jesus Christ is the one that guards our hearts and minds. He's the one that gives us the wisdom and the strength to do that. And so I want to walk this out. Our words speak to our faith. Our words speak to or reveal our faith. Go over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and again, I'm so thankful you have your word of God with you today because it's not my words. James chapter 3, if we were in a conversation with God, he would be the one speaking, and I hope he would be the one dominating the conversation. Oftentimes when we talk to God in our prayer lives, it's more about me asking instead of me listening. I I struggle with that in my prayer life. It's more about me, God, do this, and God, do this, and God, do this, and God, do this, and God, thanks for doing that, and I'll talk to you later. And God is sitting, I just want to share one truth with you today. Would you just let me speak? Would you let me get a word in? And I hope that you've realized through this whole series, and again, for those visiting this morning, you can get it online, you can, you can access it through the website, you can get a CD copy of it if you like, at the Welcome Center. So much of this is about Him. We talked about our faith the very first week. You know what your faith is about? Not about you. Your faith is about Him. He is the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews says. So all of this is going to center around him. So if you're like, well, I don't really know why I should change the way I speak or why I should change how I feel about this person or the situation, it's because your heart, your words should reflect him. It's all about him. James chapter 3, look what it says here in verse 1. James 3 and verse 1. It says, my brethren, be not many masters or teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, man, the power of words. We think behavioral things. We think adultery, these outward sins. But James is saying, man, word, your words are powerful. It says, for if any, if, if, uh, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to also bridle the whole body. There was only one perfect man. His name was Jesus Christ. And he was able to bridle the tongue. He was able to speak only things that would glorify God. It goes on to say this in verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Oh, man, isn't that true? Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it, delight, that it defileth the whole body, and set on fire, or setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on the fire of hell. What did Jesus say? It's not what, what you eat with unwashed hands that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles a man. What does James say? Man, the mouth, the tongue can cause a huge fire. You ever notice that to be true in your own life and relationships? You ever enter a situation and a conflict is brewing and you say 
one thing and it just erupts the conversation into just more anger and, and jealousy and all these things. Or you go in and you say a whole different thing and it seems to bring a calmness to the situation and a peace to the situation. That's what James is saying. You can set the whole course of nature on fire with just a word. Now, he's being figurative here. He doesn't literally mean I can speak fire. He's saying it's like that's the power of it, the, the consuming nature of our words. And what happens after a fire goes through a forest? What does that forest look like? It's just destroyed. It's singed. It's burned. It's not beautiful. It's killed everything in its path. And that's what James is saying. Our words can do that. And that's powerful. You see, our words reveal our faith. James gives a couple illustrations of the tongue. He talks about bits in a horse's mouth. It controls the whole body. A helm of a large ship. It's small but controls the whole ship. And then kindling for a great fire. Small but can set the world on fire. The common theme of all of these examples is that the body follows the words. When the tongue speaks, the body follows. This is huge because what you say is a reflection of what you believe and will determine what you do. What you say is a reaction of what you believe and determines what you will do. When we have faith in Christ as Savior, our belief, we speak the things of God, which is his word, and we then live out our lives that reflect him by his grace. See, our words reveal our faith. So here's the question. Do your words and your belief match? Do what you say and what you say you believe match? Or is there a difference? Look at James chapter 3 and verse 7. We're going to read all the way through verse 12. And I know it's a lot of scripture, but I wanted to hear God's word this morning. Listen to what it says in verse 7. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It is untamable. It's untamable. Look at what it goes on to say in verse 9. This is a huge, remember James is writing to the church. Let's put that in perspective. This is not to the world. This is to the church. He says, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made in the similitude of God, the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Again, James gives us some physical examples to illustrate the ridiculous nature of the hypocrisy of our words. A fountain of water, it's either fresh water or, or salt water. A tree, a fig tree and an olive vine. A fig, uh, produce, fig tree produces figs and a vine olives. Even nature teaches the absurdity of the forked tongue, one author said. Jesus taught the same thing in the Gospels, that a tree that produces bad fruit is not a good tree, but a bad tree. Think about this. If I go out to my apple tree and I'm getting bad apples, then something's wrong with the tree. And I can fix the apple, I can try to maintain the apple and nurture the apple. But until I change the tree the fruit is always going to be the bad fruit. And sometimes we spend so much time trying to convince people to change the fruits, but their tree has never changed. What does Jesus say the tree is? It's our hearts. See, here's the truth. A good changed heart produces good fruit. A 
evil and sinful heart produces bad fruits. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, I know I'm a Christian, but I, sometimes I see bad fruit in my life. Well, that's when the, the gardener needs to come in and do some pruning. He needs to cut away some things. But what I'm saying is if there's a long track record, this overarching consistency of bad fruit after bad fruit after bad fruit after bad fruit after bad fruit, it may not be a fruit problem. It might be a tree problem. And it may be a heart problem. And I'm saying all of this to you as I'm saying it to myself and as God is saying this to me as well. I don't stand before you as somebody that says all the right things all the time. Ask my wife. Seriously, just 20 minutes, I'm going to say something stupid. It's just going to happen. But we need to be so guarded and so careful because James says, man, there is so much power in your words and it is ridiculous to think that a, a, a Christian heart should be speaking cursings. I love what James says there. How can we come into church on a Sunday and praise God and go into our workplace on Monday and curse our coworker? How can you come to church and say, oh, God, you're so good, praise you, and get on the phone or Facebook after church and rip some other person created an image of God and say, that's totally fine. Then James says, that shouldn't be. And even in James's church, it was becoming okay. This idea of this hypocrisy was totally fine. It was accepted. So do our words reveal our true faith? Or are you saying one thing and believe another? Do your words match? Secondly, and quickly, our words reveal our wisdom. Our words reveal our wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. So get this. You learn something, then you apply it to your life, and as you're living that out, that's wisdom. Wisdom is not the gaining of knowledge. Otherwise, the people with the most degrees would be the wisest, and that's not always true. Let me say this. Having a degree or many degrees does not necessarily make you unwise either. There's this, I don't know why our culture does this. It's like, oh, you spent all that money on a degree. Well, I have life practical wisdom, so I'm smarter than you. Or I have all these degrees and you don't have any, so I'm smarter than you. That is the most ridiculous thing to think about. Wisdom is the applying of the knowledge that I possess. So if I have this knowledge in this area and I apply it, I'm wise in this area. But I said at the beginning, we're all ignorant of something, right? If you meet somebody that seems to always have the answers and never going to God's word, never having to say, I'm not sure, let me think on that. Stop listening to them. Stop listening. If they always just got the answers ready to go, mm, I don't know about that. Man, there should be some times we have to stop and go, man, I don't know, I, I think I need to think on that some. How about this one? Maybe I should pray about this before I open my mouth. Do you realize how many problems would be solved if you just prayed before you spoke? How many words of bitterness would you not speak if you prayed and said, God of all mercy that has forgiven me for all my sin when I didn't deserve it, when I was your enemy? How would I speak to this person that's wronged me? But aren't we just, we don't think like that. We think, oh, I, I pray to God and I do this and then that's just a different matter. No, it's all connected. Our words reveal our wisdom. I want to look at just a couple of verses from the book of Proverbs, which many consider the, the book of wisdom. And I want to listen to these words. Listen to the wisdom in this and allow it to encourage you. If you're taking notes, you can jot these references down. I'm just going to give you the, the chapter and the verse number, but it's all from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 11:12 says this. 
He that is void of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. A man void of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. You know what that's basically saying? I'll put it in the John translation for you. Sometimes it's good to just shut up. See, the King James says, hold your peace. That's very, you know, spiritual. Just don't say anything. Man, you can seem and you will be wise in the absence of words, not in the abundance of words. He says, man, you despise your neighbor. The Bible says you're void of understanding. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but hard words stir up anger. 16.24, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Is it? Have you ever seen that to be true in your own life? Someone speaks a kind word to you and it actually makes you feel good. That's what Proverbs is saying. It's like it's healthy for you. By the way, that verse also says honey is healthy, so just pour that on your biscuits in the morning. You know what I'm saying? And just praise the Lord. Bible says honey is healthy. Mmm, delicious, okay? We just eat it up. No, what's he saying? You're saying, listen, it's good for you. It's pleasant. How do you feel when somebody speaks a harsh word to you? Do you want to be around them very long? You want to get out of there as soon as possible. Or you respond with what? A harsh word. But when someone's speaking kind words to you, not fake kind words, by the way, not just pretending to do, but I mean, they genuinely are speaking kind words to you. I'll give you an example. A few month and a half ago, I get a phone call out of nowhere. This person calls me up and just went on for like 10 minutes about how much they appreciated our ministry here, how much they appreciated Sandra and I and all that we do for the church and all these things and just going on and on, unprovoked, unexpected. I not only almost dropped the phone, not because nobody in the church ever says that to me because our church is amazing. I'm, I got to be the most encouraged pastor in ministry because I've never left here thinking, oh, nobody cares. I leave here and I tell my friends that are in ministry, like, man, I, when they're talking about what well, my church did this, my church did that, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. And our church, I love my church because I leave here feeling like encouraged and uplifted. But this person went on and on for like, seriously, like 10 minutes. And I mean, I'm not a super emotional guy, but man, tears started welling up in my eyes. And I started thinking, God, because there was a time a couple days before this, this was a Tuesday night. On Monday afternoon, I was talking to Sandra in the kitchen because we all have these moments, don't we? I looked at Sandra and I said, do you think anyone is getting it? Now, do I know people are getting it? Of course I do, but why do we do that? Anybody ever have a pity party? Who's good at pity parties? Raise your hand. Anybody the best at pity parties? You stay the longest, right? You're locking up when you're done because you're the last one there. So what I was doing, and she gave me this look like, where'd that come from? And I said, I don't know. Don't you ever just think, like, if, if I stopped doing what I'm doing, would anyone notice? Does that ever cross your mind? And she made a joke like, she's like, whoa, this is the most uplifting conversation I've ever had with you. I'm like horribly depressed now. I need chocolate. Like, I mean, come on. And I said, no, really. And she said, no. She, you know, we talked about it. We prayed about it. And it was all good. And she's so gracious and so loving. And not even 24 hours later, I get this phone call. Someone just, thank you for what you do, and thank you for being faithful and all this. Man, I hung up that phone, and I thought, God, you are so good. Isn't it amazing how right when we need him, he shows up, but maybe not when we want him? 
I want him here. He says, I'm going to give you four more days. And then I need him here, and he shows up right on time. Amen, Becky? He's an on-time God. I should have had this plan. She could come up and just start singing it out of the blue. And this great moment, this Holy Spirit-led thing, and I messed it up. Man, sometimes, amen, yeah, never too late. Becky would be like, oh, okay. Um, man, kind words are like a healthy food. Like, it's healthy for, it gives us health. And a couple more, and then we're going to wrap up. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Verse 18, 7. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. I'm just going to say this because I've read it from multiple authors and even personal uh, experiences where people have shared things with me about their struggles. I've never met anyone that committed adultery that didn't have an issue with the words first, saying the wrong things to the wrong person at the wrong time, and it just was a snare to the soul. It became an entrapment around these people that have struggled with this. And then they find themselves trapped in this, and they say things like, I never even knew it could end up this way. But so often, even in our men's Bible study back in the spring about temptation, story after story of man in our book that said, it all started with an innocent conversation. Some small-time, light-hearted flirting at work. And next thing you know, I'm trapped. Last one, Proverbs 18.20. Words satisfy the soul as food satisfies the stomach. The right words on a person's lips bring satisfaction. These are just five of the verses among many in the book of Proverbs or the book of wisdom. James, as you read the book of Proverbs and the book of James, you're going to find it's going to be very, very similar in the way it's written because James is a New Testament book of Wisdom. It's a wisdom literature like Proverbs is in the Old Testament. But just in five verses, I'm challenged and encouraged to think about why do I say what I say? What am I doing with my words? So let me ask you, what do your words reveal about you? Ephesians 4.29 says this. It's a passage that has always given me great comfort and great challenge. A verse that has given me great comfort and great challenge. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Think about this verse real quick. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edifying or the building up of. But you don't know what they said to me first. You don't know what they put me through. You don't know this. You don't know that. You don't know this. I don't need to know that because God's word is pretty clear on it. Let no It's not some, or if the situation calls for it, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the building up the other person. This is true in our verbal words and in our written words in today's culture. We got a lot of keyboard warriors that say a lot of things that crush a lot of people, but it's okay because it's behind a keyboard, I'm safe. We've got people that verbally attack people, that assault people verbally, and it is just insane that we think we can get away with this as followers of Christ and not be held accountable. And let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. If you measured your words against that plumb line, which is always true and straight, 
If you measured your words this morning, today, this week against that, how would you fail or fall? Would you fail or would you pass? Would your words line up true to that plumb line or would you say, "Mm, I've got some work to do? And it's not you doing the work, it's him working in you. This is where you'll be tempted to think something like this. Well, we all blow off steam now and again and vent. Yeah, but I didn't say what I wanted to say, so it's okay because I didn't really say all that I wanted to. Or maybe even worse, well, I'm not Jesus, so I'm not perfect. Or how about this one? Well, Jesus said harsh things to the Pharisees all the time, so I can say harsh things to my neighbor. It is true that Jesus was bold with the Pharisees. He also knew exactly what needed to, was, what was needed to be said to provoke a change in their thinking and hopefully bring about repentance. You don't know the heart of your neighbor. You don't know exactly what they need to hear. So you pray about it. You seek his word and you ask for wisdom. And then in conversation, if God leads you to say something that would encourage them, even if it's challenging. By the way, if you have a brother or sister that's stumbling into sin and you go to them and you call them on that sin in a humble way as Galatians 6.1 talks about, and you serve them and you tell them, listen, this is going to lead to your destruction, you're building them up. They may not realize it, though. You're not attacking them. You're saying, man, I want you to be drawn to repentance. So you have to be still careful there. We think, oh, well, if Jesus said it this way, I can just say it that way too. Be careful there because Jesus knew exactly what was needed to be said. And we don't all the time. And so how can we pray in, in a way that would honor God in that way? My challenge to us is to take an account of your hearts by taking an account of your words. Are your, are your words bitter or sweet? Do they convey grace or condemnation? Would you say whatever you just said to Jesus if he was here physically? If you say it to someone in God's image, would you say it to the very image of God in the person of Jesus Christ? And if you would say, well, I don't think I would. I think I'd be afraid to say that to Christ. Then maybe we need to consider, well, why am I saying this to someone else? These are the types of questions that I ask myself. I always pray, God, give me wisdom in my words. Because see, there's a part in James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. When I open my mouth and I say, this is what I believe the Bible says, I'm going to give a greater account for that when I stand before Christ one day. And I better make sure that I'm praying, God, you give me wisdom in what I'm saying. But guess what? Every time you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are teaching God's word. And I encourage you, pray, God, give me wisdom in this, that I would speak your words and not mine. I'm going to ask this. Would you bow our heads in a word of prayer? The praise man's going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation. And here's what I want for you this morning. As you bow your heads right there where you are, you would say, God, what are my words reflecting about my belief? And what are my words reflecting about my wisdom? And if you would say, what I believe and what I'm saying don't seem to be lining up. I honor God with my lips, but my heart is far from him. I say all the right things at all the right times, but I know I don't have a close relationship with Christ. Then maybe you would come this morning and just bend a knee here at the front. And and this isn't just the only place God can move. He can move in your seats if you feel led to stay there and pray there. But maybe you want to come and bend a knee and say, God, would you help me in my words? Would you help my words to be uplifting? It doesn't mean we don't deal with the issues of sin in people's lives, but it means we speak truth in love. We don't leave a conversation happy that we obliterated somebody with our words. We leave a conversation hoping that our words gave life. 
spoke truth, that we extended grace to those people that hear our words. And so I don't, I don't want to talk too much more about this. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would lead you in whatever he's doing. Father, would you pray, or we pray, Father, that you would move, that we would have wisdom in our words, that we would realize that it's all about reflecting you in our speech. Lord, I pray that you've changed our hearts if we know you as Savior. I pray that you're continually changing our hearts and changing our words. I pray that no corrupt communication will proceed out of our mouth, but that which is good to the edifying of the one that hears it, that we'd speak the truth in love. Lord, sometimes that we would remain silent even though our flesh wants us to, to lash out. That we'd hold our tongue when gossip comes our way and instead of getting involved, we turn it back to you. Lord, that we'd speak things that you would have us to say. May we be honest with you this morning with ourselves. And Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you as Savior, maybe they'd come to know you before they leave this place by receiving you as their Savior, repenting of their sins, believing you died on the cross for them, were buried in a tomb and rose again. Thank you for your grace. May we surrender our lives to you, live as disciples, followers of Christ, to your glory, because all of this is for you. Every word we speak is to your glory. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise band leads us in a song of invitation? The heart of worship. Man, am I coming back to that heart of worship? Beyond the music and the noise and all the other stuff, am I focused on him this morning? Or would you come and pray? God, give me wisdom in my words. May I reflect you in my tongue and honor you in all those things.